is Palm Sunday, everyone. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can wave them in the air because we really do care. Amen? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Amen. I, I'm so excited that uh, we're in this season. Like, in, in one sense, we're always in the season of celebrating Jesus as Christians. Amen? That season doesn't end, but God has set up things in such a way that we have something called the church calendar when we remember specific events and we remember the goodness of God in particular ways. And so we're in this season right now, today, a Palm Sunday, Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem and then this coming Holy Week, remembering all that was done as a Savior died and got up from the grave. Amen. Um, today, I'm going to talk a little bit about anticipation um, because that's what's going on as we get into Palm Sunday. There is anticipation on the part of God's people that something is going on. So if you can now play that little video, thank you very much. Let's play it. Their ketchup's coming a lot slower than ours does. That's not good manners. Oh, you notice our Heinz. Here, taste it. Rich Heinz ketchup. The taste. Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but just seeing that burger, like if it was a little later in the day, that would have made me really, really hungry. Amen. But but you see this uh, advertisement here, obviously for Heinz ketchup, and and they're anticipating is that is that ketchup going to come out? When's it going to come out? Because I can't wait to taste the glory of that burger that is before me. That's what's going on. And I forgot to take off my mask. There we go. But in the first century, the Jewish people were anticipating something a lot more important, important than a condiment. Amen? They were anticipating the coming of Messiah. They were anticipating the anointed one who would come and set them free from bondage. Jewish people had been uh, under other governments and regimes and rules for most of the last 600 years. There was one period in there where they were free from other rule, but for the most part, for a 600-year period, they had been under the thumb of other governments. And, and in the first century, at the time of Jesus, they were under the thumb of Roman rule. And so with that hard, difficult rule from the Roman government, they anticipated Messiah even more. Just a second, we're going to read today's scripture, but before we do that, I want to encourage you to be one who anticipates God as well. Amen. Here's what I want you to see. Anticipation is always the proper posture for followers of Jesus Christ. 
as believers were called to a lifestyle of trust in God that anticipates his saving movement among us. Will you anticipate God's move? That's where the Jews were in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on what we now call Palm Sunday. And that's where God wants you and I to be even today as well. Anticipating a greater manifestation of God's grace, of his power and his love at work in our lives and in our situations. So today I'm going to have Sister Rosetta Davis Share from us, read from the scripture, Matthew 21. You can all stand up and read along with Sister Rose, but she's going to come up and read for us. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord, everyone. All right. So if you can turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 21, I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. And it's titled, Jesus Comes to Jerusalem as King. As they approached Jerusalem and came to, and came, <laughs> and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. As if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, to say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. Excuse me. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, Before you're seated, uh, let me just say today we're kicking off a three-part series today, Good Friday and Sunday, on the indestructible life. And of course, we know what life that is. That is the life of Jesus Christ, the indestructible life. But Particularly today, we're going to talk about the indestructible life, anticipating glorious change. Let me pray. Father, as we remember and, uh, and, 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 and read again your word that reminds us of how you came, God, I pray 
that you will stir up the hearts of each and every one of your people with anticipation for the goodness of our God. That, Lord, we will recognize that when Jesus comes, everything has to change. And we'll be happy about that. Lord, just be with us in these coming moments as we look at your word and glorify your name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Today, as we look at uh, the scriptures, we're going to focus on the meaning of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And there's really two aspects that I want to pay attention to from this text. And, and, and first of all, the first aspect is this. Everything changes because Jesus comes as the long-anticipated Messiah. Somebody should say amen. Amen. I hope that as, as those words from Scripture were read, that you could, could see the, the joy, the anticipation, the wonder of those who were in Jerusalem as Jesus comes on the foal of a donkey into the city, but they recognize him and not just a normal man. They recognize that the king is coming. They're anticipating. They are excited about it. The actions that you see in these verses reflect their drought-driven desperation that makes them thirsty for God's perfect provision. They see it on that donkey. Jesus comes just as the scriptures prophesied he would, lowly and on a donkey. And then as the crowd echoes the words of Psalm 118, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they cry out. That word Hosanna is an Aramaic word. It means the Lord saves. They are exalting the coming of the long-awaited Savior as they cry out. In verse 8, uh, of Matthew 21, it tells us that people cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road before him. And that's also a fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 27, that says, The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine on us with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession. The idea is we're going to lay out everything before our coming king. So the masses of the people gather in Jerusalem, acknowledging Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. He's the anticipated savior. And now they're at this place where they can taste and see that their oppression has ended. It's just about to be over. He's coming. He's coming. He's here. That's the anticipation that's going on in Jerusalem in this time. What could we possibly compare that type of anticipation to? I've come up with one way, but it falls short. But can you imagine being in prison for decades? And the day of your leaving that prison, it's it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. You're about to get out. And not only are you about to get out, but you know that everyone on the outside, family, friends and loved one has been with you all along. 
No one's turned against you. You're not going to go out and not be accepted and not be loved, but you're going to get out of this prison and you're going to be loved and accepted by everyone out there that care, that has cared about you and that you care about. And not only that, there's provision for you. You're not going to be poor and figure out how to make your way. But everything that you need monetarily and otherwise is all provided on the other side of that door is freedom, is life, is love, is provision. That's what you're anticipating. That falls short, though, of what they're anticipating. Because this isn't just for an individual, but this is for a whole community of people, all of God's people waiting. The only thing I can compare it to well is, is the children of Israel on, on anticipating the exodus from Egypt. As they know that they're about to leave Egyptian bondage 400 years as slaves 400 years under the thumb and the whip of the Egyptians. 400 years they've waited and now God is about to bring them out with a great salvation. Can you imagine that night as they are gathered in their homes? They may be hearing distant cries and shrieks around the land of Egypt as the angel of death goes into the homes of everyone that does not have blood on their doorposts. But praise be to God, there is blood. They are covered by the blood on the doorpost and the death angel does not enter. They are safe. And tomorrow when the sun rises, they're about to leave generation after generation after generation of bondage and know what it means to be free as a child of God. This is the kind of anticipation in Jerusalem at this time. Here's what I want you to get. Jesus coming as Messiah is not just an individual blessing for a few people. But it's God's powered reversal from captivity and bondage for everyone who calls on his name. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We can know that there is something on the other side of bondage. There's something on the other side of captivity. And it is the freedom of the children of God. This is what they anticipate. This captivity for us that we ought to anticipate is greater than the captivity of Egypt. The, the captivity that we've been held captive by is more powerful than Pharaoh. It's more oppressive than the emperor and the centurions and the tax collectors of Rome. It's more oppressive than all of that. It is the captivity of sin. Sin, which has marred every part of our existence and every part of our world. And we are anticipating the coming of the one who sets us free from sin in every form. Here's the good news of the gospel. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've already been set free from the penalty of sin. There's no more wrath. There's no more penalty. God is not mad at you. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. If you've received him, if you know him, the penalty has passed over you. 
Second piece here is that right now you're in the process of being set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer reigns over you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You've received the Holy Spirit of God and you can say, no devil, I'm not going there today. No flesh, I'm not going there today. No, I'm not doing that now. God has set me free. And then one day, oh my gosh, one day, one day, one day, this is the good news of the gospel, you will be completely freed from the very presence of sin itself. It won't be outside of you, it won't be around you, it won't be above or below you, and it won't be in you anymore. There will be no more sin because the Savior has come. Yeshua has come. Hamashiach, the anointed one, has come and sets his people free. I, I just, I don't want to go on in, in this sermon today without inviting everyone here and everyone that's watching as well to recognize the presence of Jesus now. Recognize that Jesus is present he is the God-man, God in the flesh, who shows up in your life, who shows up in your circumstances, and he looks on you with eyes of love. The perfect, the holy, the all-powerful God is also the one who shows up lowly and on a donkey, ready to heal, ready to forgive and ready to deliver. Jesus didn't show up in a chariot. He didn't show up in a tank. He showed up lowly and on a donkey, caring for his people. And Jesus is looking at your life and your situation even now with love and ready to heal and ready to deliver. I want to look at a few more verses in this scripture because there's a second part that's, that's critical for us starting in verse 12. And I'm going to read from there, verses 12 through 17. The scripture says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and their benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of, of robbers. Verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children uh, shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Verse 16, do you hear what the children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out 
of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. We just saw that Jesus is the anticipated Messiah, but based on these verses, uh, Jesus is also the one who totally disrupts the religious status quo. Things cannot stay the same in the presence of Jesus. There's so much in these verses, but I want to focus for a minute just on verse 15. In that verse, the scripture says, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw all the wonderful things that he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Look at what is going on here. They saw the wonderful things of Jesus. They saw the power of God in the flesh of a man. They saw healing. They saw grace. They saw love like the world had ever known. They saw the wonderful works of God, but they were indignant. It was too much for them. What's he doing Healing lame people and blind people around the temple. What? Why is he doing that? No one else does that. We don't have protocol for that. That, that, that. That's not the way we do things around here. Who does he think he is? And now people are crying out, even our little ones. Don't corrupt our little ones. Hosanna to the son of David. Who does he think he is? He's not a king. He's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? We know his mama. We knew his daddy. How can he be all of this? We don't have protocol for this type of thing. My God, there's such a strict order here, an emphasis on order, an emphasis on correct protocol, that the saving, healing, restoring, and demon-destroying power of God in Jesus Christ is rejected because he's not doing it the way we do it. A few days earlier, before this, Jesus, we see this in John's gospel, chapter 11, had healed his friend Lazarus, not just healed him, but raised him from the dead. You remember the story. Lazarus wasn't just he died and Jesus got by his side and, and healed him. He didn't put any of those, what do you call those things you put on folks to revive them? He didn't put those on Lazarus. Lazarus wasn't fresh dead. Le defibrillator, thank you. Lazarus was long dead. He was four days in the grave. One of my favorite King James verses is Mary says, by now he stinketh. <laughs> he was stinking in the grave. And Jesus, you remember the story, cries out, come forth, Lazarus. And he comes out of the grave. And everybody sees it. And everybody knows it. And there are Pharisees there. There are leaders there because Lazarus was a known person in the community. And so this becomes the, unde the, the, the undeniable mark that Jesus is more than just a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a rabbi. There's something about him that is so much more. And we can't deny it anymore. So what do they do? They plot to kill Jesus. 
and they plot to kill Lazarus. They plot to kill Lazarus because he is a a walking uh, reality that Jesus can raise a man from the dead. My God. Here's what I want you to see. When religion, when churches, or when Christians put too much emphasis on order, and therefore make God predictable and containable, they will always undermine the work that God wants to do in the world. God, you've got to do it this way. This is how we've written it up. This is what it looks like here. This is our way of doing it. You've got to do this. But brothers and sisters, God, Jesus will never fit in your God box. He just won't fit. He's not subject to anybody's rules. He's not subject to any uh, system that is created that is designed to create God predictability. Jesus just doesn't abide by that. So he literally comes, the one who who came lowly and on a donkey from uh, uh, Zechariah's prophecy, the one who comes lowly on a donkey now comes into the temple courts and he sees his father's house being turned into a house of merchandise and this lowly one, this humble one, turns over the tables in the temple courts. He can't stand it that way. It can't be that way. Zeal for my father's house consumes me. The same man, this lowly man. You know what? When he overturns the tables, he's still a lowly and humble man. He's still the same man. But his lowness and his humility is before his his God, his father. He's not getting low and humble to the man-made rules and regulations that would stop the work of God. He's not having that. Now, if Jesus was not a dead man walking before what we just read, if he wasn't, uh, they were already looking to kill him, but now for sure he is. He has the nerve in verse 14 to heal the most needy people among them, the the lame and the blind. And then the religious leaders hear those shouts, Hosanna in the highest. I want to ask a question of us, both individually and corporately. Here's the question. Have you settled for a highly predictable and therefore controllable Jesus? Have you settled for a highly predictable and controllable Jesus? Think about that. Do you have in your mind such an ordered view of God that you no longer expect, 
You, you no longer are, allow yourself to go into the kind of prayers that would have God in all of his wildness, in all of his power, in all of his unpredictability, overturn every earthly expectation with the infusion of his love and power to save. Have you, have you matted that down in your life? But you've got a good, predictable God. Here's what I want you to see. The minute that you insist on a systematized, controllable, and perfectly predictable God, you can know for sure that you've replaced the God of the Bible with your own comfortable and impotent idol. What you now worship is no longer the God of the Bible. He won't fit in your God box. The problem is that all too often Christians, churches, and even denominations can get so enamored with predictability, with rules and with ways that they are no longer fertile soil for the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, when a system replaces the spirit, the abundant life that Jesus promised is replaced by dead orthodoxy. And there is no such thing as orthodoxy, right believing, that is actually dead. Instead of surging with the hope of Hosanna in the highest, we live like a long-term coma patient. The heart's still beating. The lungs still fill with air. There's still blood coursing through the veins. But there is no more vitality. There is no more movement. There is no more straining towards a goal. There is no more life of God being animated anymore. But we know what to expect. I'm just about to finish up here, y'all. Palm Sunday presents us with the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. They recognized him that day as the long-anticipated Savior, the anointed one. You know how fickle folk are because five days later, they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him. But on this day, at this time, they recognize who he is, even if just for a moment. The only one who could deliver them from their bondage. But he was also the great disruptor of predictable and comfortable religion. The God-man busts out of all of that. He's consumed with the zeal of the Father and he is unstoppable in his quest to save, to heal, and to deliver. He will not be stopped. And so, dear ones, this day we celebrate Hosanna in the highest. 
If you've got your palm branch today, I just want you to wave it for a minute. Just wave it before God. He is Hosanna in the highest. He is the one who comes to save. He is the one who comes to heal. He is the one who comes to deliver. He is the one who will not be stopped. I'm going to get ready to pray in just a second. There's one last question that I want to ask before I pray. I want you to be honest with God as you answer this in your own heart. Have you settled for the comfortable and predictable little G God? Or are you even now expecting to see a glorious and powerful move of God in your life, in your family, in your community, and in your church? Somebody ought to start anticipating God with me today. Here's the truth. God is here right now. Jesus is among us right now. God is the indestructible, unstoppable, and he is ready to move in your life, in your circumstance, in your community, in your family, and in this church even now. That's the God that we serve. So I'm going to do this today. I, I'm going to ask everybody to stand right now. If our musicians can come and they can play a little bit. But, but here's what I want to do right now. I, I, I'm going to do an altar call. And I want you to, um, to, to settle some things with God. I want you to ask God a question. And I want you to respond even physically if, if God is, is getting at something in you today. Those questions we're asking. Who is the God of your salvation? Are, have, have you watered down your expectation of God to a level that is more predictable than ever? It, it's comfortable. But you no longer pray wild prayers. You're not expecting to see God move. You're not expecting to see a wave of people coming to know Jesus Christ and putting their sin behind and calling out to God, save me Lord Jesus. Maybe that's true even for family members, maybe adult children who've walked away from God. I want people today if that's you if you know today that your God box is way too small for Hosanna in the highest. I want you to come forward today. You can socially distance, but come up and come forward and stand before God. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But if that's you today, I would like you to just come up as a sign of saying, Lord, I know that I've got to believe you in a greater way than I've been believing you. I, I want to trust you to be greater than the way I've been trusting you. I want to cry out to you with a passion that I haven't been crying out with. Oh, Lord, I'm going to give a couple more minutes for people. If anyone wants to come forward. We can get so caught up. We can get so caught up in our systems, in our ways. Okay, we've done this before. We can see it this way or that way that we forget how massively great our God is. 
and how nothing will stop the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. Give one more minute and I'll pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.